Today's reading comes from Psalm 95, verses 1 through 7. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. This is the word of the Lord. So my uh, college roommate and I could not have been more different. Four years we lived in the same room together and were basically opposites. Uh, He was an athlete in high school, popular, handsome, always had a girlfriend. I was a mathlete in high school, sat by myself at lunch, uh, was a pubescent version of this, and never had a girlfriend. So we hit it off really well. Uh, even though we were so different. It, during college, for fun, he would, he would uh, organize pickup games of football out on the lawn. I would go to the gym with my juggling supplies and a friend, and we would practice new juggling throws and patterns and techniques and things like that. Uh, but then we both got engaged right around the same time, uh, which everybody expected for him and blew everyone away for me. Uh, But we got engaged about the same time and decided, you know what, we should start working out together. you got to look good for the wedding. He wanted to work out with me because he needed somebody to kind of help him keep the commitment. I wanted to work out with him because I needed somebody to show me how to use the weights without hurting myself. I'd never used them before. So we got together. We started getting up early, going to the weight room. We made it twice. And in one of those early morning exercise routines, uh, my roommate says, hey, let's, let's just get a baseline. How fit are you? Let's do a sit-ups competition. Put your feet under the thing that holds your feet and just start crunching away and we'll see who can go longest, see how we're doing. So we get down on the floor and we start going. And I mean, he played football in high school. He's fit and all of that stuff. And so no one was more surprised than me when I won. I know. But it turns out all of that juggling All of that being solid, stable, planted with a good, firm core while you're doing this and throwing heavy things to each other worked wonders for my abs. (laughs) It turns out when you do things repeatedly over and over again, habitually, like, and you just keep doing it over and over and over and over and over again, day after day after day, it can change you, sometimes in unexpected ways. I knew that juggling helped my hand-eye coordination and repelled women. I did not know (laughs) that it would help me develop abs of steel until the competition. Now, it's, I think we all know that the things that we do over and over and over and over and over again have an impact on us. They shape us, they form us, they mold us into different things. Just try wearing the wrong size clothes for a couple of days, and you'll see what I mean. They change you if you do the same things over and over again. Repeated activity forms us, shapes us, molds us, and that's the idea behind this sermon series that we're launching today, transformation. 
We're going to spend the next eight weeks walking through a regular Sunday morning church service at Faith Church. What we do every Sunday morning when we get together, because the things that we do over and over and over and over again shape us. You saw the quote in the video that kicked off this sermon, first we form our forms. This is a theologian up in Chicago who's part of our movement who wrote this or said this at something we were at recently, said, first we form our forms and then our forms form us. First we shape our worship and then our worship shapes us. It's anything we do regularly, repeatedly, habitually, over and over and over again, makes a difference in who we are and how we operate in the world. So we're spending the next six weeks asking ourselves this question, well, why do we do what we do when we worship? Why do we have a call to worship, an announcement of the gospel, and a prayer of confession? Why do we pray together as a church? Why do we open the Bible and look at it together? Why are we sent out at the end of the service? Why do we do these things together? And how does it shape us? Every week we'll be in a different psalm. The psalms, of course, are the songbook of Israel and the songbook of the early church. And within these psalms, in some psalms more than others, but repeated and throughout the psalms, kind of as a thread you can follow, are all of these different elements of a service that we'll be talking about, all these different things we do when we get together to worship. And we're starting in Psalm 95 because Psalm 95 starts at the beginning with a call to worship. If you haven't turned there yet, Psalm 95, it's on page 590 of the Black Bible that's underneath the seat in front of you, or if you downloaded the app, you can pull that up and click the scripture button and it'll be right there ready for you. Uh, But Psalm 95 uh, highlights for us what's happening when we are called to worship. And as we go through Psalm 95, as we read it together and explore it together over and over and over again, I'm going to come back to the same idea, that when we worship, our worship begins with God calling us and then us responding. And that call and that response changes us. God calls, we respond, that changes us. So hopefully you'll be able to follow along with me as we go through that. God calls, we respond, that changes us. And we're going to start with God calls right here in Psalm 95. Look at verse 1. It starts out with an imperative, a command. Oh, come. Gather in, people. Come close, everyone. Come here, everyone. Verse 6 starts the same way. Oh, come. And then after the beginning of verse 1, after the beginning of verse 6, then it's, here's the things we do when we're together. Sing, worship, bow down, kneel, make a joyful noise. But it starts with a command, a call to come. And if you've ever stopped to wonder, why begin with a call to come? It's not because you aren't already here. When Johnny led us in the call to worship earlier this morning, and he's reading from Psalm 100, we're reading it together, and he says, come to us. That's not like a sly, churchy sort of way of saying to everyone still getting their coffee, like, hey, it started, and you're not here yet. Come. No, it's not designed to get you in the room. It's not why we have a call to worship. I worked with a a pastor once. We were putting together a worship service, and uh, we were kind of plugging in different things. I said, how about the call to worship? He says, we don't need a call to worship. I'm already here. Well, 
yes, but that's not the point of the call to worship. We have a call to worship because God calls us, and then we respond. We begin our liturgy with a call to worship because our worship begins with God calling us. Now, before I dig too much more into that, I want to pause for a minute, take a time out, and talk about this word, liturgy. How many of you grew up in a tradition where now that you're out of it, you're like, liturgy, stop, I don't want any more of that? Yeah, I kind of did. Um, I grew up in, in sit, stand, kneel, genuflect, do, go forward, do all the things, say the words, hold hands, do all that stuff. And it, it did not mean very much to me. And so when I hear the word liturgy, it still conjures in my mind, you know, pictures of priests in robes and prayers in Latin and sitting and standing and kneeling and doing all these other things. Um, if you're like me, I, I need you to understand that's one kind of liturgy. That's just one way to do liturgy. The word itself just means the people's work or the work of the people. So every church, when we get together, we get together because we have something we're trying to do, right? That kind of, uh, that kind of worship, that kind of liturgy that I grew up in, what they are there to do is, in a sense, to perform. We have a ritual that we go through. We perform those things. The work of the people is to perform a prescribed set series of prayers and, and readings and things like that. Not necessarily wrong, but that's how it's being done because the goal is to perform. There are other liturgies, though. And by the way, this is not a, you know, like a first hour versus second hour traditional versus contemporary thing. You can do any kind of liturgy with any kind of music. But there's that kind. There, there's another type of church where when people get together, the, the point, the goal, the work of the people is to absorb the content that comes out of this book through the preacher to the people. The whole goal, your work, is to learn to absorb. And so a church like that doesn't really need much in the way of uh, formed worship other than a building to meet in and a sermon. Maybe some music to kind of warm you up and, and get you open to hearing what, what's about to be said, but you don't need much more than that. Of course, there are other churches, and, and we're probably all familiar with different churches that fall into this category, that their work, when the church is together, the work is for the people to have a profound, positive, emotional experience. So we fail if we don't craft sort of a flow to the service that we fail if it doesn't pull you into emotional expression of how you're feeling right at that moment. You see, you see the difference? Every church has a liturgy because every church has something it came together to do and because there's something it's trying to do, that then they shape the service around that. This one's very easy. Open the prayer book, follow the steps, perform. This one is very easy. Preach the sermon, take notes, listen, learn. This one is fairly easy too, though it tends to take more band and stuff like that. But, uh, but make an emotional arc and feel. Neither one of these approaches is wrong. I'm, I'm not trying to get you to, to condemn any one of these, simply to, to recognize that different churches come together for different reasons and are shaped by different things, and in the process of being shaped by those things, create different types of worshipers. 
someone in this more quote-unquote liturgical area can end up thinking about the relationship with God in terms of how well they're performing, how well they're doing. Someone in a four walls in a sermon church can come out of it years and years of that thinking that, well, my relationship with God comes down to what I know about him. And of course, people in the churches that focus on having an emotional experience can judge their relationship with God based on how they feel at that moment and whether or not they feel positive at that moment. None of those particular examples or ways of doing church is necessarily wrong, but they may be insufficient at shaping us to be gospel-formed people that can survive out in that world. This type of church has a real hard time with hard emotions. Like Psalm 88, all my friends have abandoned me and darkness is my only companion. Doesn't show up at Joel Osteen's church. A church like this, where it's about what you know, has a very hard time with emotions. What if I don't feel that? Well, on the, on the, on the train of your life, knowledge leads emotions. Like, oh, I wish that were true. Has a hard time with emotions and sometimes a hard time doing. The, the church over here that is simply prescribing repeated ritual can have a very hard time with, can be filled with false information about God, but as long as you're doing the prayers, then you feel like you're good. Anyway, I've spent too much time on that. The point to say is I, I feel like each of those approaches is insufficient at shaping worshipers with the gospel to go out into the world. So we are taking these eight weeks to talk about when we go through a worship service together, when we get together regularly, habitually, repeatedly to worship, how is that forming us? And today we're focusing on the call to worship from Psalm 95 because God calls us and then we respond. And if we don't understand that, Everything else we do in the service, everything else we do from there, from the announcement of the gospel to the prayer of confession to the assurance of pardon to praying for illumination from scripture to teaching and preaching to responding in song and being sent out, all of that misses the central fact that we would not be here if God hadn't called us and then worship becomes about us. Let's jump back into Psalm 95. Psalm 95 starts with a call. Come. Come and worship me. And in, in this psalm, of course, the, the writer is speaking to other people in the congregation. He's maybe a would be standing up on a stage, leading in the synagogue, but he's calling to others in the congregation saying, come, let us worship the Lord together. Come, let us sing. Uh, let us sing to the Lord. Let's make a joyful noise. Come together. But over and over and over again in the Psalms and in the early church's use of the Psalms, we, we see come being read as God's invitation to us. And why, why he calls us or why we should respond when he calls us, is clearly laid out in Psalm 95. Take a look at uh, verse 3. Right, so verse, verses 1 and 2 start out with, come, let us sing, let's make a joyful noise, let's come into his presence, let's make a joyful noise with song. For, verse 3, or because, because 
The Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come into God's presence. Come, come into God's presence because he's the one who created everything. The highest, the mountain heights and the ocean depths, the dry land and the seas are his. Come into his presence with shouts and song and joy and thanksgiving because he created all of it. Which means... Even what we're doing right here, right now, was his idea. We didn't make up worship. We didn't create this idea of gathering together on our own. When God created us and created the world and created us as worshiping beings, he's the one who invented worship. We're here because it was his idea. He's the creator, the maker, the ruler of all, the king above all other gods. We're only here because it was his idea, and even more than that, we're only here because he chose us. Look at verse 7. Verse 6, it told us, come, worship, get flat on your face before God, bow down, kneel, come before him because, verse 7, he is our God. Not just a God or the God, but our God the God we are in relationship with. We are the people of his pasture, his domain, his area in which he provides everything that his people need. We are the sheep of his hand, the individually known members of his flock. This is a relationship here. We come because God has called. God calls, and then we respond. See, we begin our church service with a call to worship because the call to worship is God's gracious invitation to us to come into his presence. He invites us in. We don't get to just wander in on our own. When my wife and I were in seminary, her parents drove the 14 hours down to Dallas to to visit and spend a long weekend with us. Drive all day Friday, two days with us, drive back all day Monday. It was going to be a fast weekend, but we're trying to squeeze in as much as we could, including dinner with the four of us and my wife's cousin, uh, who was over in Fort Worth studying uh, Bible translation at a, a linguistics academy there. And so we were, we were just about to leave and go pick him up and go out to, to dinner, get some good Tex-Mex or something like that when he calls us. He says, hey, I'm, uh, I'm on the side of the road, and I've got my unicycle with me. I was trying to ride on a curb, and I think I broke my leg. We're like, okay. This is something Matt would do. This is also something I would do. Incidentally, I just never have, but it's definitely something Matt would do. So we go pick him up. We take him to the ER. We get him checked in. We're like, hey, broke his leg. Can we see him? They're like, sure, no problem. We'll get you in a few minutes, and we started to wait and wait and wait. And we started counting the number of ambulances that had driven in and dropped off patients who had gone right back while we sat in the waiting room. We started to wonder, what would it cost to call an ambulance from the ER so we can skip this line and get into that line? But then about six o'clock in the morning or so, we heard the words that we were waiting for. It only took 10 hours, but we heard the words, hey, Matt, 
the doctor will see you now. Finally. Apparently, you can't just walk into an ER and say, I have rights, I demand to be seen. I mean, you can, but it doesn't do anything. They're the ones who invite you back. You don't get to just wander in and say, no, I'm here, help me. You say, I'm here, help me, and they say, we'll get to you in a minute. But you don't get to go back and get charged the really big bucks until you're invited. You don't get to just choose to saunter on back when you want to. You have to be invited in. And I think something we've maybe lost a little bit in our understanding of what we're doing when we come together to worship is we start to think like church gathering together in worship is something that eh, I, I, I kind of get to choose. You know, do I want to go worship God this week or not? Oh, yeah, maybe. And we forget the fact that we're only here because he invited us. We're only here because God called us and we responded. There's a pastor down in Louisville who writes on this topic of worship and he says uh, something I thought was just really good, obviously worth worth sharing. He says, the first thing we need to acknowledge when we gather with God's church is that the whole thing The whole thing, from the entire creation to the very thought of gathering to worship the Creator, the whole thing was God's idea. We don't gather because we're clever. Look at us. We figured this out. This is what God likes. Let's get together. We don't gather because we're clever. We don't meet because we've figured something out that the rest of the world has missed out on. It says, we come because God is the great initiator. He made the world, he made us, and he's remaking us in Jesus. So he says our gatherings, our songs, our sermons, our fellowship around the table, all of it is a response to God's initiation and God's invitation. We are here and we begin our services with a call to worship because we have to remind ourselves, not that it's 1045 and the service started, we have to remind ourselves that we would not be here if God had not called us. We would not be here if he had not first shown us grace, if he had illumined our hearts, if he'd opened our eyes to who he is and what he has done for us in Jesus. We wouldn't be here if he hadn't created us, if he hadn't thought of us in the first place, if he hadn't dreamed up this whole thing and made us, invented us out of nothing, we wouldn't be here. So when we get together, we take a seat, we come on in, okay, I'm here. And then Johnny gets up and he says, come, let us worship and bow down and kneel before God. That's not a message to the people out in the lobby. That's a message to the people on stage and us in the room that we would not be here if God hadn't called us. Worship begins with God calling us, and then we respond. And that changes us. It shapes us. It forms us. God calls, and then we respond. Let's, let's dig into that second idea that you know, God calls us first, and then we respond. Because if God calls us first, and then we respond to Him, that means that All of our worship is response 
See how that works? God calls us, we respond, so our worship is response. That means, and this, this will challenge some things, that means worship is not about me. Worship is not about my feelings or my learning or my actions or doing. Worship is not about me. Now, this is not a subtle way to try to convince you all to go to first service and sing songs that you maybe don't know or to try to get first service people to come to second service or anything like that. I'm not talking about different worship languages and how your heart worships with different kinds of song and music. I'm saying if you come on a Sunday morning and you say, I am here to get something out of this, to get charged up, to get ready to go back out into the week, to have an emotional experience, to really learn something new, you might as well listen to a worship CD and a couple of podcasts because that's not why we're here. God calls, we respond. The things that we do aren't about us. They're about him. He's the one who called us here. But of course, that doesn't mean we do nothing. Look at Psalm 95. Verse 1, oh, come. Okay, we've come. Now what? Now let us sing to the Lord. Let's sing. Let's Use music, let's lift our voices, let's make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. That means shout it out, be loud. One translation says, let's make a joyful noise to the, uh, the rocky pinnacle of our deliverance. So I love that. Let's talk about what God has done in saving us. Let's, let's come into his presence before his face with thanksgiving, with thankfulness for what he has already done. Let's make a joyful noise, shout again, but with song this time. Verse 6 shifts the tone a little bit. Verse 1 and 2 is all about oh, we're getting up, we're getting loud, we're getting, in, you know, we're standing. Verse, verse 6 puts us on our face. Come, let us worship, which means lay yourself out flat before God. Let's lay ourselves out before God. Let's bow down. Let's kneel in front of God, our maker. There are things that we do. Sing, shout, kneel, praise, bow down, lay flat. But the things that we do, the actions that we do are a response. God calls, then we respond. What that means is we're not the ones initiating worship. We're not the ones starting this whole thing. We're not the primary actors, doers when we worship. God is. When we get together on a Sunday morning or whatever time a church gathers together on a Saturday night or a Monday night or whatever, when we get together and we say together we are, we are worshiping as a congregation, being bound together in worship of God, he's calling, we're responding. That means we, we're not just entering into God's presence. We are, absolutely. We are entering into God's presence, but we are also entering into the sphere, the, the realm, the arena of God's activity. 
right? It's so easy to think, well, that God's just a passive observer to our worship. He's up in heaven, and he's looking down, and he's like, hey, pretty good. You were on key. That was nice. Uh, don't listen to the people singing over there. That's where I was. They weren't on key, but the rest of you guys were good. Tempo was great. I liked it. Thank you very much. No. When we get together to worship, God has called us. We respond, and this call and response, this grace and gratitude dynamic goes back and forth, back and forth. Theologians writing about worship never talk about it in terms, well, good ones anyway, never talk about it in terms of performance, but of interaction between the people of God and God himself. In our worship, God is acting. He's not just present, he's doing something. He's not just showing up to listen. It's a call and response as we we tell ourselves and one another who God is and what he's done. God calls us to worship and we respond with gratitude. You have called us, you have created us. We wouldn't be here if it weren't for you. And he says, yeah, look at at how great I am. And we read those verses from scripture about how great God is. And and we respond again, we're down on our knees like, that is not me. And he says, I know, but there's a way. And we can then confess our sin to him that we are not what he has called us to be. And he responds again with the grace, illumines within us the ability to see what Jesus has done for us. And we respond again with gratitude and thanksgiving. It's an interaction, a dynamic that goes back and forth, back and forth. God calls, we respond. Worship is not a static, stagnant thing where we just get together in a room, sing some things, hear some words, and leave again. We are entering the arena of God's activity. He is working on each of us when we worship together, which is incredible. It should blow our minds. We're not just in God's presence with him looking at us and saying, good job, everybody. He's, He's doing something, calling us, molding us, shaping us, transforming us. So, you know, we start the service with a call to worship because we've got to remember all that. We've got to remember that God's the one who called us and then we responded. So what we're about to do is not about us. It's not about how we feel about God on that particular day. It's not about saying the same prayers that we've said forever. It's not about what we learn if we learn something new that week. It's about recognizing that God has called us in grace and we respond with gratitude. All of our response is gratitude. Another uh, theologian writing on on worship, guy who taught up at Calvin College for three decades, uh, said when the church gathers together for worship, worship is not about what we do, it's about God's action and our faithful reception of that action. Worship, he says, is a meeting between God and God's people a meeting in which both parties act, but in which God initiates and we respond. I played saxophone for a number of years, tenor saxophone. It's still sitting back there. Uh, I haven't gotten it out in a while because I could never quite nail improvisation. You know, knowing the instrument well enough and knowing music theory well enough to just, to just go. I had a saxophone teacher who was trying to teach me and he, he kept doing these, these things where he'd say, it sounds like this, and then he'd play it. And I'd go, I can't do that. He'd be like, no, 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 it sounds like this. And he'd play it again. I'd go, yeah, I, I still don't know how to do it. I can't make my fingers do that. And he's like, well, you're not going to learn call and response without spending some time 
practicing this. This whole worship dynamic between us and God is a lot more like jazz than it is like classical because it's an interaction back and forth between God and us. He calls, we respond, and then as we do that over and over and over again, week after week after week and month after month and year over year, it shapes us. It forms us. It makes us into a certain kind of worshiper, one who is shaped by the work, the liturgy that the people have gathered together to do. So every week we start our service with a call to worship because we got to remind ourselves we're not here for us. I'm not here for me, though there's certainly things that I get out of it. I'm not here for what I can do, though there's things I should do, and I'm, I'm not here for what I can learn, but there are things that I can learn. I'm here because God has invited me. He has called. We have responded. And that changes us. It changes us. If, if you've been around faith for a couple of years, you know, we've been talking about discipleship and how God transforms us, uh, primarily by looking at one main verse in 2 Corinthians 3. And we preached whole sermons on this, so I'm not going to go into a whole ton of detail right now, except to say this is the verse where Paul writes that we all, uh, with unveiled faces, gaze on the glory of God. We, we examine the glory of God. We reflect on the glory of God, and in so doing, are transformed from one degree, one degree of glory to another. You remember the verse? In short, what it's saying is that the extent to which we examine, we ruminate on, we gaze on, we think about, we contemplate God's goodness to us, his glory to us in Jesus, the beauty of his goodness to us in Jesus Christ and the, the story that is the gospel, the, the extent to which we look at that over and over and over and over again is the extent to which we are transformed by God to look like Jesus. It's the gospel story, right? It's the story that we talk about of, a, of a, a great God who was perfect, who created humanity to be in perfect fellowship with him, perfect friendship with him, but then those humans walked away and said, I don't want that. And to bring them back required the cost of his own son, the self-sacrifice of God himself to bring us back into relationship with him. That story the more it is rehearsed, the more we look at it, the more we think about it, the more we contemplate on it, the more we gaze on who we are, who God is, what he's done for us in Jesus, the more we examine and gaze intently into that story, the more we are transformed. So every week when we get together and we worship together and we do the same kind of things every week, the things that we're doing are designed to do one thing, not recite the same thing every week or do those same things just for the sake of doing those same things, not simply to get more information across and not to help us feel feelings, though none of those things are wrong or bad. We get together every week because we have to look again into the story of what God has done for us. So every single week, beginning with the call to worship, reminding us that God has called us and that we respond, every single week we go through the story of the gospel. Who are we? Who is God? What have we done? What has he done for us? What is he going to do for us in the future? 
And every week as we go through this story, we pause together to gaze on the glory of God's goodness to us in Jesus Christ and to be just a little bit transformed. I was thinking about that. Transformed from one degree of glory to another. You know, a degree is a very small measurement. Indiscernible when it's just in a tiny little area. And yet, God has promised that when he calls and we respond and we come together over and over and over again to worship him in the sphere of his active presence, that he will transform us little by little. The... uh, pastor down in Louisville that I quoted earlier says, you know, rehearsed regularly, the gospel becomes part of our way of thinking and seeing and feeling and loving and being in the world. A weekly heartbeat that draws us in and sends us out, draws us in and sends us out and shapes us. When the gospel shapes our worship and our worship shapes us, it turns us into gospel-shaped people in the world around us. So why do we do what we do when we worship? Why do we begin a service with a call to worship for all of us who are already here? Because we have to remember the good news, the gospel, the story of who we are is that God has called us and we are responding to him. His grace leads to our gratitude. And as we express that in worship, he changes us, transforms us little by little, bit by bit, shapes us into the kind of worshipers that we will be for eternity. Pray with me. Um, as As I pray and even pray how this needs to affect my life, Father, you have given us grace even in creating us to be the type of people who are formed by what we do regularly. Lord, I confess that most Sundays I show up and I think being here was my idea, that I'm clever and better for having chosen to be here instead of at brunch somewhere. God, we wouldn't be here if you hadn't thought of this whole thing. We wouldn't be here if you hadn't created us. We wouldn't be here if you hadn't chosen us. We wouldn't be here if you hadn't called us. Help me, help us, Father, as we sing, as we worship, as we gather around the table. Let my worship be a response of thankfulness. Holy and pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name. Amen.